afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast and I'm a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz, and we call this show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see a lot of these studies in conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. And there are also special interests that are less than enthusiastic about you knowing about the studies. Every week we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illness. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and has been adapted by thousands of doctors as well as some medical schools and hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled, What is the Future of Medicine? And this is going to be a good conversation, Dr. Benz. I think so. It's pretty timely. I, I wrote an article in Life Extension magazine about five years ago now called The Beginning of the End of the War on Medicine. Ooh. And I chronicled about 100 years of medicine and how it has changed over that time. And when we got to x-rays and when we started to get the prescription drugs and some of these changes in the 20s and 30s, medicine began to change. Before that, it was mostly natural. And now it's, uh, they, be, they started to become conventional medicine with science. And the science were you know, these x-rays and they prescription drugs. So we've had about mm, 70, 80, 90 years of this new medicine. And guess what? It's not doing very well. And so this article kind of chronicled this journey over the last hundred some years. And actually said things were happening that were so dramatic that I thought this war was going to end between these two. We, we call the other medicine natural medicine or holistic medicine or functional medicine. And the other one is allopathic or conventional medicine. It was the war between those two groups, if, if you want to really put the war into perspective. And I thought, okay, uh, it's going to end because the Cleveland Clinic just said, we're going to embrace functional medicine. And that's one of the, th one of the three large, they're one of the three largest clinics in the country, six billion operation. And I thought, this has got to be the evidence that, that, that tips the whole thing over and allows us to get more integrated with the evidence from this functional medicine side of things. It didn't happen. And I thought, what in the heck just happened? It was like nobody paid attention to it. And then I remember something similar happened in 2006. It was a study called uh, Medical Guesswork. And it was the front cover of Business Week magazine. Basically said conventional medicine only had science to support 25 to 30, 20 to 25% of what they do. And I thought, well, that's certainly got to get somebody's attention. And then Time magazine had a picture of somebody on a bed. And it said, how to avoid going here. And the insides was all about prevention. And then in 2009, the Senate held a hearing, health, health committee and the Senate held a hearing, invited Dean Ornish and Mark Hyman and Andrew Weil and a bunch of healthy doctors and they did four hours of testimony. And then at the end, Mark Hyman said, you're never gonna solve the current healthcare crisis if you just keep trying to do the wrong things better. And I thought, well, geez, this has gotta end it here. And it didn't. 
because the Congress didn't pay any attention to it. So if the media is not paying any attention to it, and the Congress isn't paying any attention to it, and the people aren't getting the message and aren't, aren't paying attention to it, what is the future of medicine? What, what do you think, Aubrey? Oh, yeah. Here we go again. The questions <laughs> right on the mark. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Heavy hitter today, Dr. Benz, I tell you. <laughs> well, I give you I enough mean, warm up. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'm currently teaching uh, a food is medicine class. And in this class, we focus on uh, nutraceutical and phytochemical applications because that's really what we see functioning at a mitochondrial level. And so if those that are listening are struggling to understand what I'm saying, uh, several podcasts ago, um, we explored how, how our mitochondria function is really the direct result of how our immune system is able to behave and how our physiology is well or unwell. Uh, and so in my course, we look at phytochemicals as they're, as they're capable of altering our DNA, but the, as they're also capable of influencing the health um, or the illness or the disease of our mitochondria. And in that class, we look at a lot around nutraceuticals. And so with nutraceuticals, this is where we see the applications of these phytochemicals in more of what you would consider a pharmaceutical um, avenue. So taking supplements, things of that nature. Um, and one of the videos I have my students watch is about how the future of medicine is going to be looking at genetics and genomics and using the um, nutraceuticals and nutrigenomics as an avenue for public health advances in terms of how do we prevent chronic diseases. We know that chronic diseases are killing the majority of Americans and that's heart disease, type two diabetes, obesity, and cancer. And if they can be prevented, then I would hope that the future of medicine revolves around the prevention using more food as medicine and ancestral wisdom. That's also the place that I sit as an idealist, which is the place that I prefer to sit because if I don't sit there, I get really um, downtrodden and depressed at the future of medicine. Um, you know, I would like to believe that the future of medicine will involve doctors actually being educated in nutrition, uh, functional medicine being widespread and not niche. I would like to believe that integrative medicine and preventative based medicine will be covered by insurance and that it will be more affordable for individuals that lack access. Um, and I also fully see the systems that are in place that keep those very preventative, holistic, integrative, functional models from truly being applied. And so I sit in sort of the same place where uh, you spoke of when Dr. Oz and Hyman and Dr. Ornish presented in front of Congress, where I feel it's this catch-22. We look at consumer trends and consumer trends are higher and higher every year of more and more individuals wanting to move towards preventative-based medicine. Equally, we have more complications with insurance covering preventative practices at this point in time. And we still have the lack of education within most of our MDs towards prevention or towards nutrition. And so I feel like caught in answering that question because I want to be really idealistic and hopeful that it's on its way to changing. And then also, history after the Cartesian split has really shown that we're kind of stuck here. 
Yeah, we are. And, you know, I, I, I think because of my age, I flipped from the optimistic side to the, the doom and gloom side <laughs> probably a lot sooner than you did because I've seen so many years of, of trying to, to get this thing resolved. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why I wrote that, that article, you know, the, the beginning of the end of the war on medicine. And what we're up against are some fundamental financial problems because 95% of the dollars in healthcare go to treatment now and only 5% to prevention, even though 80% of disease is preventable. Now, you have to say to yourself, why is that? And everybody that you talk to says, well, it's the pharmaceutical industry. They contribute to everybody's election campaign at Congress and in the Senate and to the presidential and to state governments. And so they're pouring billions into elected official coffers so that they can, because these, these campaigns, these election campaigns are expensive. Okay, everybody knows that. And we also know that they have these reps that go to every doctor's office and provide all kinds of incentives for the use of these drugs. And so if people wanted to counter that, they couldn't get really the, the financial support through their insurance company. And so there's only a certain percentage of people that can afford the food and the nutraceuticals and the doctors that are willing to do this. And so you've got this cap on the whole thing. Yep. It's, it, it's, it's like when women said they had this ceiling and, and, and they, they couldn't get above the ceiling because of certain restrictions. Well, it's the same thing with patient care. A lot of patients say, I would love to eat those foods. I would love to have those supplements. I would love to go to that doctor that doesn't take insurance. I cannot afford to do it. So we are, we are stuck. And the solution that the Congress is coming up with is the single payer system. They want to go to socialized medicine. That's not the answer. Because if you have the same exact medicine, you may get five or 10% reduction in your cost, but you're not gonna get the big reduction that you would with prevention. And so right. I'm hoping that we can get a sea change going before the Congress says they have to do this now because the system is not sustainable. Um, we had a discussion last Friday when I gave this presentation and the Economist magazine predicted that 100% of the GNP in the United States would be consumed by the year 2065 with just health care costs. Well, we, we know from our experience that if it gets 20 to 25%, we know that things have to change because there's too much money being taken out of the system for that one item. There's not enough for other items. And we're already getting that now with COVID and all the money that's being spent on COVID is kind of tipping the balance of the financial sheet. We're already paying twice as much as other countries for some of the worst outcomes possible. So we're paying twice as much. We're getting half the benefits in terms of outcomes. So that, that's a no-win situation. And when you look at the evidence that I just reported 20 to 25% don't have good science for conventional medicine treatments, it gets worse when you look at the, the Journal of Clinical uh, Evidence and they say that only 11% of conventional medicine treatments actually are beneficial. 
11 percent and and so one of the examples that one of the uh, people that asked the question on friday was statin drugs are they are they really beneficial yeah they lower your cholesterol but guess what 50 percent of people who have a heart attack i have perfect cholesterol levels <laughs> so that's not the problem and 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 so only one out of 150 people who take a statin drug lives longer if they don't take it. 150, that's less than 1% efficacy. How can we have a system that is so blatantly corrupt and, and ineffective and still have it functioning as if there was no tomorrow? And then I had to slide and I said to people, look, 97% of people can't lose weight. 90% of people can't quit smoking. 83% of people can't quit alcohol. They try, but they can't. 90% of type 2 diabetes is preventable and reversible, and yet 99% of doctors aren't even using it or attempting to do that. 90% of breast cancer is preventable, and yet the first thing you start to see is people are in stage 2 and 3 cancer, and why, why wasn't that prevented? If they used the right test, that could have been. 70% of adults are overweight. I mean, that's been increasing every year for the last 30 or 40 years. So there's too many metrics going in the, in the wrong direction. And I, I wish there was hope, but I really don't see it. And I think there's other things we have to do. Here's another tough question, Aubrey. What would you do if you could do it? If you, had a, uh, if you could write a blank check or do any changes that you thought were really, really fundamental and going to get the job done, what would you do? Well, um, this may be uh, contradictory to what you think that I'm about to say, but I would change the food system. The food system would be where I would go instead of the medical system because the food system is what's contributing to the diseases that we are seeing, the chronic diseases that we're seeing, which makes the medical system fall, right? Be short-sighted, be impacted by its inadequacies. So I would actually go towards the food system where we would stop subsidizing the foods that are killing us. We would stop offering financial incentives and federal funding for the foods that are harming all of us. Um, and we would actually incentivize the foods that actually make us healthier, which you know would shift a lot of things also that sort of disrupts our corporate, the corporate culture that we have that influences our government policies. Um, but I would actually target sh changing the food system so that we have locally grown foods in, in every single school. That if you go to the hospital, you're eating locally grown foods and you're eating mostly plant-based foods instead of the crap that they're serving in the hospitals, which is contributing to people having re-emission rates the way that they do. I would actually focus there instead of the medical system because I believe both of them are so inundated with corporate interest that they're going to be very slow to changing and i think that if we change the food system then that's going to force the medical system because the food system changes towards healthier foods they're preventing diseases well then the medical system has to match it i agree with you uh, that's that's one of the top top ones on my list too only i'm probably even more radical than you are i would i would put a tax on the unhealthy foods uh, mm, never mm -hmm. mind the subsidies. I, I, I would like to see every grocery store have uh, uh, every food rated as, as, as to its uh, 
efficacy in, in helping uh, to improve people's health. And there are actually two or three systems out there that have been used in, a, in about a thousand stores over the last 10 years. And they don't, they somehow don't seem to catch on to the big chains. Yeah. All right. But those systems are out there and I don't care if they're not perfect. If they're able to give people better information than they have now about the value of those foods, then by gosh, I think we should have those, those, those things re yeah. re required in every food store. And I don't like to name brands and stuff, but I, I, there's a couple in our neighborhood and I know the, the lady has health problems and, uh, the husband came in the other day and I happened to go out of the driveway when he was coming in. He said, well, we just did our shopping today at Wawa. And I went, really? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a gas station with, it has food in it. Right. And I thought mm -hmm. with the health problems they have, they don't need to be shopping at Wawa. Um, anyway, that I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I would go further. And I think I would also go after the pharmaceutical industry. We're, there's only two countries in the world that allow ads on national uh, television and radio, and, and that's New Zealand and the United States. Every other country restricts ads from North pharmaceutical companies. And so I think that is something that we, we probably need to get rid of as well. But there's so many sectors that need to be changed. You mentioned the education of doctors. You know, I think that Congress could could pass a bill saying every doctor has to have X number of nutrition hours from a certified uh, program within five years. I don't, I don't care. Psychiatrist, it doesn't matter. Acupuncturist, uh, every, every health practitioner that has a license and is able to help, to help treat people should know about nutrition. And so I don't see anything wrong with doing that. And, and, we just have to make sure that we elect the right people. Um, it's funny. I wrote a book many years ago called Electing Better Politicians because I was so frustrated with, with the system. And actually, there were communities in Canada and United States that used the book to get rid of their elected people. <laughs> and I thought, if we could just do that at the congressional level, this would be... It's possible because... I'm doing work now with a, a new foundation called the Future of Medicine uh, Foundation. And they're looking for these alternatives that haven't been tried before and trying to find ways to leverage them so that they can really get, uh, get some, some pressure out there. Like, let's do some documentaries or let's have a team that just writes legislation and submits it to every congressman. Here's, here's some legislation that you need to consider. And, and then we should have some targets. I mean, can you, can you actually define evidence-based medicine? I, I haven't been able to find a definition for it uh, other than... That's such a skewed, <laughs> skewed question. <laughs> I mean, the, but the answer is it always comes up when you, when you Google it, that there's, there's these three circles and they kind of interact. And, and, and that's sort of uh, the, the proof of evidence. No, there's, there's no proof of evidence. And so yeah. to me, if you have a drug like a statin drug that has a less than 1% efficacy, is that called evidence just because they did some clinical trials? No, if your results yeah. are terrible and your outcomes don't help people to get better, that's not evidence. 
And so with this foundation, I'm going to start to help to identify those fundamental problems and say, let's get a definition of evidence-based medicine that really works. Because if you don't start there, then where do you where do you end up other than in some kind of you know farm field somewhere where nobody knows what's happening? Um, so I didn't mean to put you on the spot on that, but it's <laughs> well, it's just such a loaded thing though to get to evidence based research because how you know there oh there's so much there, Charles right of like. How does research get funded, right? Who is fun the bias that takes place within our funding sources around research? I mean, a great book, if you're looking at this, is The Unsavory Truth, and it looks at what happens when our the American Medical Association um, or the American Diabetes Association or Coca-Cola is paying for researchers to conduct research and we're saying oh it's evidence-based but the research is manipulated really from the get-go based upon funding um, and then we have the whole tyranny that happens with publications and where are you allowed to publish depending on what are the results of your study and so how do you suss that out is that's a huge endeavor to take on Oh, you, you just hit the nail on the head. I love it. You just you, you, you took a tough question and just simplified it in a beautiful way. Um, I, I think uh, one of the things that I presented in this uh, presentation to the, uh, the, the Future of Medicine Foundation was a bunch of books that challenged that very premise. And one of them is called Severed Trust. Why American Medicine Hasn't Been Fixed. It's by the guy who was the editor of the JAMA Journal. The, I mean, the Journal of Medical, uh, the American Medical Association, and he calls he calls out the uh, the, the the doctors. You know, you know, he couldn't do it the way he wanted to. Uh, he he tried probably to do some things, but he got blocked. And so then he wrote a book about it after he retired. And then there's another one called Overdosed America, and this guy looked at all the prescription medications just like the other uh, study did and just said, there's just too many that don't do the right thing and, and do more harm than good. And it's just one of those things where the, the, the people who get it right, like Dean Ornish, who wrote his book, uh, uh, Reversing Heart Disease, and do it. took 30 yep. years to get that program yep. to be approved by one insurance company, Blue Cross and Blue Shield mm -hmm. of Pennsylvania. And that was like, oh, maybe 10 years ago. Do you know, it's still like secondary. It's not fundamental. Because a neighbor of mine who had four of her artery, main arteries blocked by 98%, they would not operate her on her because it was too risky. But they said, oh, you can do the Dean Ornish program. Uh, that, that would be good for you. So they're giving it to the people who they, they can't do an expensive operation on anyway. And so that's kind of disgraceful. And so I had a lot of books uh, about arthritis and about depression and osteoporosis and asthma and a couple about cancer. And you know, most of these cancers are preventable. And yet I had a client in, Georgia, in uh, Chicago, went to one of the most prestigious cancer clinics in, in the Chicago area and said, so is there anything that I should be doing uh, about my nutrition? And these three oncologists said, no, no, you can eat anything you want. And he just said, really? 
and I, I had already sent him this book, How to Starve Cancer by Jane McClellan. He pulls out the book from his briefcase and said, what about this book? And, and, the, and the chief oncologist went, oh yeah, I, I've, I've heard about that book, but I haven't read it. And I thought, that's a disgrace. That's, that's an admission that no doctor should be able to say that I know virtually nothing about nutrition and I'm going to treat you for cancer, which was caused by toxins and poor nutrition as much as anything else. And so that just said to him, you're not going to treat me. <laughs> I'm going to find some, I'm going to find a doctor that knows what the heck he's talking about. And, and, and will be able to tell me that, you know, high enough levels of vitamin D can reduce the risk of breast cancer by 77% and reduce the risk of prostate cancer by 83%. I mean, when he saw the statistics, he said, why am I not taking vitamin D3? Why did she not recommend this? And so it, it, it's an embarrassment and you're right. There's so much work to be done, but you know what? I think we got a shot at this because we've got a group of people who know all the things that you and I've just talked about and they're saying it's not satisfactory. We can't yeah. let the existing system bury us and, and let this continue because uh, we're going to, 50% of personal bankruptcies are individuals with healthcare cost problems. And organizations are having bankruptcies because of health problems. And now whole countries are going to have bankruptcies and the United States will be probably first among them. Look at the debt that we're going into. And one of the main reasons is funding Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, they, they can't mm -hmm. afford to do it. Okay. So yeah, there's lots of problems, but in the system that I'm going to teach them, we don't pick the biggest problem necessarily. We pick the problems that have the least amount of effort, but the highest amount of impact. And we go after those strategically and we, we, we get progress gradually building up to the point where we get some momentum going and then it's going to be really hard to change it. So what else you got? Because we've got a couple more minutes left before we sign off with our sponsors. But if you want to take another kick at the future of medicine, now's the time. Well, I think that one of the places to read, if anybody's interested in this, this um, conversation, I would really go to Dr. Mark Hyman. He had a book that came out last year called Food Fix. And I find this to be a fantastic book because not only does it give you information about how the food system and the medical system are really, you know, doing a great disservice to American citizens, but it also gives you hand-to-hand -hand applications that you can take as an individual, which I think is probably the biggest thing, is it's very easy to become apathetic in this conversation around how do we fix the medical system, how do we fix the research industry, and how do we fix the food system? And we can go, oh, it's too big. Government's involved, it's way too big. And I really think that the more that we are able to become empowered, whether that's, I'm not gonna use this practitioner because that practitioner doesn't know anything about nutrition, or I'm going to grow my own food on my own on my balcony, or I'm going to remove chemicals from my water. Any ways that we can reclaim our own sense of intuition and also personal efficacy over our health and our well-being is one of the ways 
inadvertently that we shift the food system, but we also shift the medical system. So I find his book really helpful because there is a conversation of what do I do as an individual so that you don't get to that place where it just feels like too daunting and you're relying on other people to help push this, hopefully, conversion forward. Wow, I think you're right. I think that's probably the thing that we have to do first and uh, because it seems like it's a, that, that Gandhi situation where the people have gone one place and Gandhi's saying, where are they? I need to lead them. <laughs> and so uh, I think this is Hyman's playing the Gandhi role here. Uh, here, individuals, here's what you can do. And every functional medicine practitioner, every naturopathic practitioner that has the opportunity to do something like this should. The problem is a lot of them get threatened with their licenses. And so COVID was, a, it was an example of that if you promoted vitamin C or vitamin D on your website or in your articles, they could come after you and they do. And then a lot of them did. Yeah. And even, even the Cleveland Clinic that did their kind of uh, the decision, the CEO said functional medicine is the medicine of the future. Guess which organization was the largest organization in the history of Quack Watch to be put on Quack Watch? The Cleveland Clinic. Mm was put wow. on Quack Watch. That means every doctor in the Cleveland Clinic was put on Quack Watch by virtue of this condemnation of the one agency that decided they would say, oh, so guess who funds Quack Watch? It's the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. And so it's a war and it's a game and we can't afford to let them win. And so, mm -hmm. I think that one of my jobs is because I don't have a medical license to, to be challenged. One of my jobs is to go after it as strong as I can and just say, we're going to push this thing till uh, we can't push it anymore. And we finally get people to the breaking point of, of, of electing better people and getting the decision makers to do some of these things that they haven't been willing to do in the past. We've got to hold them accountable. Um, we can't just say we're going to do our own food. And, and, and solve our problem because everybody isn't smart enough or aware enough to be able to do that. And we can't afford to get 2%, one or 2% a year converting because we'll be bankrupt in the next five to 10 years. So yes, immediate strategies, interim strategies, long-term strategies. That's the goal of this new foundation. And I, I hope that we get the funding we need to get the job done. And I'm really looking forward to working with them. And I hope that uh, when the opportunity comes around, you'll join us and, and help to participate because you have a lot to add. And, and I really appreciate everything you said today. And I think we're on the same team enough that we can, we can work with this foundation together. I'd like that opportunity. Absolutely. All right. So yes, a, quick, thank you. a quick hi to our sponsors, Paddock Pools in South Carolina. They helped to really develop. Uh, healthier pools with this thing called the vacuum extractor. It actually takes chlorine gas off the surface of the pool and just gets about 95% of it out of there so that you can breathe healthy oxygenated air when you're swimming. And this is a big advantage because if you're breathing this chlorinated gas, you're actually depleting your, your zinc. And, and by depleting zinc, you end up uh, inadvertently, but uh, obviously, also uh, de depleting your vitamin D levels and vitamin D as we just learned before can lead to cancer. So uh, paddock pools in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, if you're going to develop a pool project, they're the ones you should be looking for to help you to do that. 
Another one of our sponsors is DHA Labs. Uh, they're in the Chicago area. They've been doing really advanced blood and urine and, and genetic testing for a long time. And uh, that's another way that people can take charge of their own health. And I've had two or three people actually email me today and say, uh, what was that test you were talking about? I want to get that done. And, and boy, that's really, uh, that's so helpful to hear people making those decisions. And some of them out of this radio show, by the way. Uh, so they have advanced uh, testing there that finds these illnesses five to 10 years before they actually start. And that's when we should be preventing all disease with these kinds of tests. And uh, the third one is uh, Southern Trust Financial in Sarasota. And they're a very progressive financial planning company. And they've been working with our company for about 15, almost 20 years. And they actually not only support our podcast by sending out these podcasts to all their clients, they also uh, do workshops almost every year to their clients when they're, uh, they're in Florida. So the seasonal ones go away in the winter, go here in the winter and then go away in the summer. So during the winter, uh, we usually have a workshop for their clients. And so Southern Trust Financial Planning is, is a company that I think uh, everybody needs to consider if they're gonna do some financial planning in the future. Uh, I think it doesn't matter whether you're in Sarasota or not because they can help you almost anywhere in the country if you need that help. And the final one is MPB Health. MPB Health is a medical cost sharing company. It's kind of different than an insurance company. Uh, they do the same things in terms of being able to uh, help you get your costs uh, for hospitals and doctors covered. Uh, but they negotiate those fees to get the same fees that the big companies get. But they do something different. They have a wellness program and they do uh, something called artificial intelligence. We have a platform that allows people to determine whether they're going to get a disease in the next five or 10 years. And then they can do all the things that the program recommends to actually prevent that disease from happening. Well, we have several other tests and programs that, that we can introduce people to to do the same thing. And so MPB Health has videos online uh, for small businesses and even individuals. These, this is a great option because they can actually reduce your premiums by about 30 to 50%. And so I would highly recommend them for anybody that's feeling the challenge of their healthcare costs and their premiums. Uh, this is a company that can help you, MPB Health. So that's it for today. Thanks, Aubrey, again. Uh, great show, appreciate your input as always. And we'll see you in the next one.